Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I want to start with a worship practice that happens in our culture almost every day. Um, there's, there's a certain segment of worshipers in our culture. They're called coffee lovers. And uh, it's not just any coffee. Some, of this, some people worship this coffee two to three times a day. And uh, they, they, when they walk into the entrance of this temple, um, they end up giving their money. They drink the potion with thanksgiving. And then they move on with their day. And uh, it's the daily visits to the female goddess of Starbucks. Um, you can find her on an old ship somewhere, but they took that picture from somewhere. But it's true. Isn't it interesting? Like, I, I know some people that literally will frequent this temple at least two times a day, uh, maybe minimum once, but some are even up to three or four times a day just because uh, it helps them get through their day. You know what? I thought about it this way, because anything that's really important to you or to me usually gets some daily attention, Right? Anything that's really important to us gets some daily attention. We've been in this series called Worship. We called it Look Up, this idea, what is the practice of worship? What is the heart of worship? What does it mean uh, as we follow Jesus to, one, we started talking about giving attribute to who God is, to to his worth. Um, A couple of weeks ago, immersing ourselves in his story, that that's part of what worship is. And last week, about what it means to worship together. We're drawn together uh, into God's presence but here, here's the thing. Here We're going to end this series this week. And um, if God is the source of your life, of my life, he's caught our attention. He's caught our allegiance. That's, that's also one of the ways that we can um, define the word faith in the New Testament is allegiance or loyalty. So if that's true, then what does worship look like? Every day in our ordinary lives, not just here when we gather and we carved out this, carving out this hour together, which is so important. It's part of our practice of worship. And last week, if you, if you missed it, we walked through four words that kind of describe what we do together. And it's not just music. It's more than that. But what does worship look like every day of our ordinary lives? If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. I want to read this couple of verses. And these verses um, are extraordinary Two lines in the book of Romans, uh, probably one of my life verses that, that I often would go back to. And, and here's, here's what Paul writes to this church in Rome, first century. He says these words, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we're reading this verse. There's there's no mention of music. There's no mention of um, a gathering. There's no mention of, of some of the particulars we talked about last week. In fact... This verse, these couple of verses are a transition paragraph in, in this book of Romans, like an anchor verse. I like to call it an anchor verse because it shifts from deep theology that Paul's unpacking uh, or teaching, deep teaching for several chapters in this shift to practical theology. One author says it's the most famous lived theology written by Paul, these couple of verses. And there's this imperative, there's this urgent call as he starts and he calls the church and he calls us to this. And the imperative is this, he says, offer your bodies 
as, living sacri- as a living sacrifice. And that this is your true and proper worship. Some versions say spiritual, reasonable. This version talks about it being our true and proper worship. That we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so I want you to just think about this for a second. When you, need, when you read the book of Romans, everything you read after chapter 12 is hinges on this imperative that whatever Paul says next about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a a life with Christ, what it means to follow Jesus is framed through this lens of worship, framed through this idea of offering our lives as a living sacrifice or offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I want to say it this way, and it's on the screen, is that he's talking about a worship life, not just a worship gathering. We talked about a gathering last week, and what we do here is of utmost importance because it equips us to worship with our whole life. But it's a worship life, not just a worship gathering. So here's, here's my question. What does everyday worship look like? Like, what does worship every day of our lives look like? And there's two ideas in this couple of verses, and it's the idea that I'm just reducing to two words, response and renewal. These two ideas. And the first one's response, because part of what Paul's getting at is is that our lives live or act in response to God's mercy. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your lives, right? Offer yourselves. And if if we had the time to read all of Romans chapter 1 to 12, he would... You know, he unpacks there God's initiative in human history from creation to the covenant relationship with Israel to the inclusion of non-Israelites into God's family, the center stone of the cross of Christ, the climactic work in the cross and the resurrection. It's all part of what Paul says in this one small word, mercy. In fact, in, in chapter 11, verse 30 to 32, he kind of summarizes this and even uses the word. So verse, verse 30 and 32, chapter 11, he says this. He's speaking to um, Jews and Gentiles. He says, just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their obedience, their disobedience, the Jews, so they now have been dis- disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. And here's this kind of summary verse. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. It's like the Jews realize that while they had this relationship or have this relationship in history with God, they're still in need of God's mercy. In fact, Paul quotes the prophets a couple of verses earlier to show them that this is true. And in the meantime as well, God opened up a way for everyone to become aware that God also wanted to pour out his mercy to all people. And verse 31 basically says everyone's trapped in disobedience. Everyone's trapped in sin. And all need God's mercy, the goodness in sending Jesus to restore us. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we're idolatrous, even though we're disobedient, even though we're plagued by sin. But see, rescue usually solicits a response. So my my wife and I, my family actually had a pretty big ordeal this week. I was in a meeting, a walk and talk meeting with someone uh, on, in Point Claire Village. And so my phone was in my pocket. I don't know if it was on silent or really low. And I didn't, I didn't hear the phone ring uh, or a text. And then maybe 30 minutes in or 40 minutes in, I pick up my phone. And I'm like, three calls from this number. And then I, I read this text from what it seems to be my daughter, but from a different number. And it says, Dad, I don't have my phone, but I need you. Can you play? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is 40 minutes. What's happened in the last 40 minutes? My daughter is going to school downtown. So... So she texts me, she calls me, I thought she was hurt, she was fine. 
but her phone was lost. Her phone was lost. It was a really big ordeal. And uh, then the adventure began. Because if you have an iPhone, you can find your phone. And so they started to use the Find My Phone feature. And they were tracking the person who took her phone all over downtown. She was Alexis Neon and then down to uh, the, you know, the, the, um, the middle of the city, uh, restaurants, this and that. And it seemed like every time they would get close to the phone and look, they couldn't find the person. And like he'd be, he or she would be somewhere else. And then they'd track the phone and find them. And they were like on this crazy trail, just missing every time they'd arrive. And then she sees this guy and she thinks, he must be the person and she walks right up to him and says do you have my phone you took my phone he has no clue what she's talking about so she stepped back and she realized she has the wrong person and then then they tracked the phone traveling by bus or car all the way to the eastern tip of Montreal so here's where my wife and I get involved my wife calls me Dave we should go get this phone like we should figure this out I'm like we don't know who has the phone but her mama bear alert has no fear she's like we're gonna get this phone back even if we walk into a drug ring, we're getting this phone back. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, we're driving, we're on the 40, we're, we're, we're tracking the phone, we're like, it's going to three or four different addresses, it finally lands like Notre Dame Street near the water, east end, like exit 90 on the, on the 40, and, uh, and uh, somehow we're there, we're tracking this. I call the police because I'm like, hey, uh, so we lost this phone, what do you think? And, and, and they say, you know what? Don't, if you get in front of the address, just call us. We don't track phones for people, but if you're in front of the address, call us. And I said, well, can't we just make a citizen's arrest? Says, uh, you could, but I would just tell you that some of these things don't work out as you wish, and you could be into trouble. I'm like, oh my Franco, what, are, what the heck are we getting into? for this phone and so we we feel pretty good we get close to the address we have no idea if it was stolen or just picked up long story short we get the phone back our heroic efforts work and we got the phone back yes isn't that awesome uh so here's the deal we're like facetiming with my daughter her friends want to come live with the Manifold family now. They're like, your parents are amazing. Your mom, she's crazy. Like, we, can we come live at your house? Like, these are the kind of responses we're getting. And, and here's the thing. Julia was so thankful. We rescued her phone. Like, six, seven, eight, ten times that evening, she's like, mom, dad, thank you so much for getting my phone. She woke up the day later. She like out of the blue. She's like, "Can you believe it? My phone was lost. It was gone, and now I have it." Thank you so much. She must have told us a hundred times. Here's the thing: rescue always leads to response. Rescue always leads to response, and worship is a response to God's rescue mission. Worship is a response to God's rescue mission, to his mercy. It's a response to God rescuing us from the damaging effects of sin and disobedience. God rescuing us. It's his mercy. We don't deserve it. But in his mercy, he reaches in. And in his mercy, he intervenes. In his mercy, even within our sin and disobedience, even Israel's own rejection, everyone's in prison to this. But he still did it. He still rescued us. Richard Foster says this, that worship is a human response to God's initiative. And then he goes on to say that worship is our response to the overtones of love from the heart of the Father. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, Christian living begins with the self-offering of one's whole self to God whose mercy has come all the way to meet us in our rebellion, sin, 
and death. Our worship, our, our, our worship is a response, a living response, a whole life response to God's mercy. Now, you might have different translations of the Bible, and one might say offer your life, one might say present your life, one might say give your life or place your life. Those words reveal this idea that Paul's using this image from the Old Testament of a sacrifice, and he says he actually calls it a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that for a a Jew reading this, or even someone who was familiar with that, would have remembered that there was temple practice that the Jews were steeped in. It was part of their worship. That they would bring their best crops and their animals and crops and as a gift to the altar. And it was offered to God as a sacrifice. And these, these gifts would be burned or consumed. Now, Paul doesn't say, do this again. But he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. He doesn't say, come and be killed. Come and be burned. In fact, I promise you, we've never done any of that in this space on a Sunday, right? It's the opposite word. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice for worship. Because we need to understand that it's like our lives are being offered on the altar. Given over, presented, surrendered. And I think about that song we ended with last week. Just that line from the heart of worship, I'll give you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you desire. You search much deeper within. You search right to the depths of my heart. Because what we give God in worship in response is not just a song. Songs express it. Songs tell the story. Songs inform us. Songs nurture us, inform us. But it's more than a song. Paul says that we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. That idea of holiness is this idea of being set apart for a purpose, for, for, um, for, for some significance, that our lives are set apart on purpose. And acceptable is this idea of, of something that pleases God, that delights him, that it's like our lives, holy and acceptable, are, is a life aligned with who God is, with his kingdom vision, with his kingdom values, with his heart. So the big idea of of everyday worship is giving our whole self to God for his glory, for his purpose, for his kingdom. But it's not just in our words. It's, it's an embodied life, an embodied life that pleases God. Eugene Peterson translates this verse, and he, he does a great job of unpacking it. He says, take your everyday, ordinary life You're sleeping and eating and going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. As an offering. Sometimes paraphrases actually help us. Right? And so this first idea of of everyday worship is, is response. Is response to God's mercy. How we embody the gospel every day. You could have that new station, 94.7, right? Like, Caleb, it's on. You can listen to worship music all day. It's good. It's good. It's not, it's not bad. It's great. But that's not embodied life. You're listening. You're not living. And so listen. Listen. But our response, the, what, what the Scripture is calling us to, what everyday worship is, is an embodied life, an embodied gospel every day. And so what does that mean? That means that we respond with our lives in in our words, 
Uh, we respond with how we speak and, 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 and what we say and the intention of our words and the hopes of our words and the, the trajectory of them, the motivation of them, the ambition of our words. It's not just, did I say a good word or a bad word, but it's, it's what am I saying? Why am I saying this? What do I want to get across? What am I trying to do? Manipulative words don't worship Jesus. So what we say, how we say things are important. Work, our work is important. What we do, how we, you know, like how we approach our jobs, how we, how we uh, use our time at work, how we think of, uh, um, you know, achieving the goals that we have. If, if our work is creative or administrative or, or organizational, that's besides the point, but that all of our work can be worshipped, that our wealth is worship. The resources God's given us, the, the finances he's provided, we, we can worship God with our wealth. And it doesn't mean when I say wealth, don't just think, oh, the wealthy can worship God. I can't because I'm not wealthy. That's not the idea. It doesn't matter where we are on the spectrum of that. It's that our, our possessions we steward for God's glory. Even in our rest, that's a way we respond to God in worship. Because when we stop and take Sabbath and delight and pause and slow down and contemplate like the way we often talk about Sabbath here, we're actually worshiping God because we're saying, Lord, you're in control. I'm, I'm not, you know what, I'm going to stop here because I know you're, you're already doing, you're doing work beyond what I do and it doesn't rely on me and I can trust you. And so when God taught the Israelites about Sabbath in the desert, he was, he was teaching them to trust him. That, that they're, even in their Sabbath rest, they were worshiping God because they trusted him that he was in control, that he was their great provider. In our relationships, our, our, our home relationships, our marital relationships, our friend relationships, whether you're single or married, whether you have kids or don't have kids, your colleagues at work, that our relationships are actually, we, we can be in relationship with people and it can show our responsive worship to God or not. Because we ask the question, are we embodying the gospel in our relationships? And so here this, here's a simple question without giving us, like, I can, we can say, okay, well, this is what it looks like exactly. But here's a real simple question for everyday moments, everyday moments with the things I just talked about. And just ask this question. Does this bring God glory? Does this attribute worth to God? Does this reflect a life in response to God's worth, uh, um, to God's mercy? Does this demonstrate that I am a living sacrifice, that my life is surrendered to him? Does it please him? Does it delight him? Does it reflect him? I know, you know, it sounds more traditional to say, does it bring God glory? Because you might be saying, well, like, I'm designing a plan for a new wing of a building. I'm an architect. How does that bring God glory? Well, the first thing is design a really nice extension to that building, that's the first way you can worship God and bring God glory. You can make sure with, within your power and your capacity and the teams that you work with and the resources at your disposal that you make you know, an efficient and effective and safe and accessible extension to that building and that in the process you're not cutting corners and you're treating people well and you're, you're, you know, you're getting the supplies in a just way and you're, just, you're looking at all that and you ask the question, does this bring God glory? And then you can filter and discern every pocket of your day in that way. Now, now, don't get neurotic about it because you can get paralyzed by that. But a simple question, Lord, is the way I'm going about this relationship, does it bring you glory? 
It's the way I'm going about my work. Does it bring you glory? Does it, does it show your worth? And you can ask that simple question for everyday moments in, in, every, in almost every pocket of your life. And then the other thing you can consider is renewal. We talked about response, but I want to just talk about renewal because renewal is here inside this text. Paul says after, it's all part and parcel. It's not like it's separated. You know, he says, offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true and proper worship, right? And then don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know what's good and acceptable in his will. So it's how we live our lives and how we're formed and shaped and transformed are important. And so the response is our response to God, but the renewal comes in like practices or disciplines. The intentional practices every day that nurture everyday worship. So here's, here's an example of this. Um, I often do premarital counseling with couples that want to get married. And so we spend four or five weeks together. And one of the, we walk through all these bunch of principles, but then one of the sessions, we often talk about how we view those principles and those practices and how we can nurture marriage and life through what I call a, gre- a grid of like a weekly schedule. And I literally like give a sample schedule, like a, what a week looks like every day and different, par- different parts of your life. And I say, here, visually see this. Look at your whole week, like Monday to Saturday and Sunday, and, and, and then list some of these priorities we've talked about over our sessions. And then I ask them, okay, where does it fit into your week? Like, when, when are you going to spend time together? When are you going to have these intimate conversations? When are you going to pause and slow down? When are you as a, as a couple going to be in relationship with other people or with the church? And, and so how are you going to nurture communication and intimacy? How are you going to grow spiritually? How are you going to build a community beyond your home? What about these, these lifestyle practices you talk about, like health and physical and, and all that kind of stuff? Where does it all fit? Because when you look at your week, it has to fit somewhere, right? So that's renewal, that's, that's practices, that's saying, I want to live, like as a, as a couple particularly, I want to live this life, I want to nurture this relationship, so, so what are the practices that are going to nurture it? We might say, I want to worship God with my work, with my money, with my life, but what are the practices that are going to nurture it? And then we consider those things and say, what does that look like daily? What does that look like weekly? What does it look like in conversations and meals and events? For a married couple, it's practicing things that renew the relationship. But for everyday worship, it means that there's these specific practices that form a life of worship. And, and it's, it's not just what we do here. We do here. What we do here equips us for what we do from Sunday to Sunday. And so these practices then become really important because we intentionally include them in our day, in our, the rhythm of our life. And the church is one of them. Our worship together is one of those practices that nurture everyday worship. Worship together nurtures everyday worship. But what about Monday to Thursday? Or Monday to Friday? Or Monday to Saturday? What happens there? So here's an example, like, if, I, if, if we take work as an example, what renewal practice can take shape in your day, what rhythm so your work can become worship? Not so you can worship work, but so your work can become worship. So here's four things. The first thing is gratitude. 
What if before you step into your office or your warehouse or your truck or the Zoom meeting at 8 or 8.30, what if before you do any of that, you just pause in gratitude and thank God? Say, Lord, thank you for my work. Thank you for this vocation or occupation. Thank you for this company. Thank you for my colleagues. Thank you for this provision. If we're going to worship through work, we must tie it to God's provision in our lives as well, right? And so just stopping and saying thank you before we do anything, before you open that Zoom meeting, before you get into that, into that meeting, before you jump into the truck or start that job, what if you just pause and said thank you, God? What if that became just an, a normal routine or rhythm? Thank you. The next part of the rhythm that can work that fits into work would be a prayer of surrender. That before your day starts, before that, that project begins, before the meeting happens, before that landscaping job gets done, you just say, you just surrender. Lord, I want to surrender this day to you. I want to surrender this meeting to you. I want to give this day to you, God. And, and I want to give these tasks to you. I, I pray that somehow in my decisions, in my interactions, in the outcomes in my effort, that it would bring you glory. And then you surrender that to him. So you're thankful, you thank him, and you surrender to him. The other thing you can do is, is request wisdom or strength. The scripture says, if you're lacking wisdom, ask God for it. So you're walking into that meeting, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to bring this about. I don't know how I'm going to get you know, our colleague to understand you know, the whole goal here. And you pause and you say, God, will you give me wisdom to say the right words in the right way with the right ambition for the good of this meeting and for your glory. Lord, would you give me wisdom? That's basically saying, Lord, help. <laughs> Maybe it's give me strength and you're starting a, a physical job and man, this week has been nuts and it's been so hard with a few other things and you're just stopping and say, God, I totally have no energy right now, but I, Lord, I'm asking you for strength. So now you're asking God to actually help you in your work. Here's this one other piece of work and allowing work to become worship is that you choose to bless the people that you work with. They no longer become a pawn or something that helps your career or something, you know, that you got someone to do some work cheap for you so you can make some extra money. They all of a sudden become people made in God's image that you choose to bless with your conversation, with your decisions, with your invitation, with the way you work with them, with how they get paid maybe, that you choose to bless the people you work with, that you listen for the promptings of the Spirit and how to bless the people around you, how to bless the people in that project, how to bless the customer, how to bless the supplier, how to bless the coworker. Because we are called to be God's living and local presence, to be a witness of God's kingdom, to be a witness of God's future in the present. And if anything should happen in the course of our day, people should feel blessed because they've interacted with us. They would walk away and say, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Sanaz in that meeting because she had my back. I'm so thankful for Marco in that project because he also saw what I needed and not just what he needed. I'm so thankful for how my boss gave me this space to think and reflect a little bit before jumping into the project. I'm so thankful for, and all of a sudden people 
begin to be blessed by you. And then worship becomes work, uh, work becomes worship. All of a sudden, we're worshiping through our work. And so, gratitude, surrender, help, asking, you know, requests, and then choosing to bless. Now, you might change those words around a little bit or work them up, but I would ask you this question. How could you apply this to how you serve in ministry? How could you apply this to, your, to when you're working out your budget? What about when you're working out your budget and you're looking at the numbers and you're saying, Lord, does this glorify you? Does this reflect your generosity? Does this reflect your heart? Does this reflect your wisdom? Am I blessing people with this? Is it all just for me? What, 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 and you just, you just apply that to your budget. You apply it to your relationships. You apply it to your family. You apply it to your vacation, even your vacation. You know, God wants you to have an awesome vacation. He wants you to be restful. He wants you to be, be rejuvenated. And so we apply these things to the different pockets and aspects of our lives so everyday worship can happen through our lives. And then we come back to some of these rhythms that, are, that just apply across the board, that you build into your, into your life and daily, weekly activity, these rhythms. We've talked about them before, and so you can go back and listen to how we unpack them, but things like silence and solitude. Think about your day. Is there a moment of silence and solitude? Is there a moment of reflection on Scripture in the day or throughout the week? Is there a moment of scripted or spontaneous prayer? And I, I really, these days, continue to include scripted prayer because there's other people's prayers or prayers from the Scripture that help me pray, but then spontaneous prayers that just are spontaneous, exactly what it means, right? Rest and Sabbath. When you think about it, these practices that we often talk about, they become the pieces of renewal, the actions that renew our mind and our heart so we can live embodied gospel lives because they're, 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 they're practices that help us slow down and pay attention to God. There's, they're practices that we can immerse ourselves into God's story through Scripture. They're practices that we can stay in constant communication and communion with God through prayer. They're practices that help us to rest and Sabbath and, and recognize that we trust God with all things. And I would encourage you to say, what does my day look like? And in three, three ways, in morning, midday, and evening. Morning, midday, and evening. I know traditionally in evangelical circles for, for years, 50, 60, 70 years, we always, you know, so many people talked about like just a quiet time in the morning. But I love how many have come to realize the fact that like whatever we do in that quiet time in the morning usually leaks by 10 o'clock, is about down to 20% by lunch, and we're probably swearing at each other by supper, right? And so I'm not saying that literally to you guys, but I, you know the reality is is that if we want to nurture and renew and build a life of worship, then why don't we consider that? What's a morning, midday, evening practices that we can just pause? And sometimes midday is literally 60 seconds. Just 60 seconds. Sometimes throughout the day, as we just talked about in your work time, you just pause and surrender, pause and thank, pause and invite. Morning or evening. And evening is so important because we often allow ourselves in the evening to escape rather than to be renewed. 
It's like we've done everything. I've, I've even spent time with God this morning. I read some scripture. I worked. I did all that. I did the dishes. I did that. I connected with this person. Now I just want to escape. And so the last thing we have in our minds is the last two episodes of a show we've watched. And so what if we just even allowed in the evening this rhythm of resting in God, renewing our hearts and our minds. So here's the reason, right? So we can frame our life as worship. I'm going to ask the team to come up so we can end with a moment of prayer and, and, and musical worship. But this is the heartbeat, right? We respond to God's mercy. We respond to God's mercy. And then we also renew our minds and our hearts and our thoughts. And here's the purpose. So we can frame our life as worship. So every day becomes an opportunity to worship. Not just here. Every day. Throughout the day. So here, here's my homework for you. Because every day means not Sunday, right? Every day means Monday. Every day means Thursday, Tuesday, Saturday, whatever. Here's my homework for you. Take, just imagine your week. Go home and do this on a computer or on a piece of paper or whatever or on your kid's you know, art, art canvas or something. <laughs> and and just, just draw the week. And then think of the daily and weekly. And ask yourself... What practices, what part of my daily life is renewing a life of worship? What practices or rhythms renew my mind and my heart and lead to worship? What, what exercises that we just walked through for work can I filter through other parts of my life and start to really think about them? That's our homework because you know what? We're not, if we end now worshiping, that's great, but that's not everyday worship. Tomorrow's everyday worship. Tuesday's everyday worship. Wednesday evening is everyday worship. Like, we're going to be gone. We're here together. Our worship together is important, but it's also limited. So tomorrow is your opportunity for everyday worship. Right? Middle of the week is your opportunity for everyday worship. Early Friday morning is your opportunity for everyday worship. Not just today. So it could feel really awesome that we end with an amazing moment. And I pray that even as we sing the words of this song, we would kind of consecrate ourselves and give ourselves to God. But not just for the sake of this moment, but for the everyday, right? For tomorrow and the next day. So that our minds are renewed daily to frame our life as worship in our response and in our renewal. And I love the words of... of um, the song we sang earlier where so many pockets of creation are responding to God in worship. And that's our call too. In view of God's mercy to offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God as our true and proper worship. Not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be renewed, transformed in the renewing of our mind so we would know God's good, pleasing and perfect will and live embodied gospel lives in response to him. Hey, let's stand as we are reminded of how so many parts of creation respond in worship. And we can take this moment and give ourselves as well in response to God's mercy that we would respond in worship in this moment, but equipped for tomorrow and the next day. God, if all these pieces of creation, your creation, respond in worship, if we can look out and recognize 
your existence and love and purpose in creation. God, we respond in worship to you. In view of your mercy, while we were trapped in disobedience, rebellion, and sin, in your mercy, God, you reached out to rescue us. God, we offer our lives our bodies, our whole selves, our everyday lives, our eating and drinking and sleeping and working and creating and relating. We place it before you as an offering of worship. Oh God, and we know that these practices of renewal um, need to be surrendered to you as well need to be empowered by your spirit. So we even offer the practices of renewal to you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use them in our lives as a work of grace to draw us close to you, to renew our minds and our hearts, to frame our life, our whole life. Oh God, and we place our work and our colleagues before you, our, our friendships, our singleness and marriage, our families, our possessions, our homes, our apartments, our cars, our bank accounts, our time, our gifts, our skills, our rest. Place it at your feet. Oh God, when we say so will I, may each aspect of our life be given over to you, Lord, for your glory. So we welcome the voice of your spirit this week in these pockets of our lives. We truly want to hear, be guided by you, God, so our life can be a response of worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.